0: Hi, it's Jun here. As an introduction to this episode, we're going to do a small exercise. Now, quick as you can, try naming five different types of pasta. Here, I'll get my sister to do it along with us. Okay, can you name me five different types of pasta?
1: Spaghetti, rigatoni, angel hair, penne, uh...
0: Lasagna Nice You got it? Easy enough? Okay, next Name five different types of rice I'll give you some time for this one See, it isn't as easy, right? Should we listen to my sister's response? Okay, now Can you name me five different types of rice? Rice <laughs> Broken rice? (laughs) Malaysia? Oh, basmati, jasmine. Uh, Yeah, that's about it. (laughs) See, isn't that crazy? We're an Asian family that lives in Malaysia. We grew up eating rice nearly every day, and we still do. And our bucket of rice at home has never gone empty. And yet, we can't name five different varieties of rice. Instead, we're able to list out more kinds of pasta, which originates from a country over 5,000 miles away from home. Now, I'm not throwing my sister under the bus here, because I probably would have responded the same way, and chances are you probably did too. But this week's episode is going to remedy that, as we'll be learning a bit more about rice, and by the end of it, I promise you'll be able to name at least one more type of rice. This is Take A Bao, the show exploring anything and everything around Asian food. I'm Lo Iijun. Asia's staple starch has always been rice. You can't think of an Asian cuisine without mentioning it. From Japanese sushis to Indian biryanis, Iranian tadiks to Indonesian nasi goreng. Rice is a necessity in meals across the whole continent. And yet, there's often very little that's said about rice. While rice is so important, so pervasive in the everyday Asian meal, it is often thought of more as a vessel for other, more flavorful dishes and sauces. But why is this? Why isn't the flavour and variety of rice something we discuss in as much detail as the Indian curries it soaks up, or the Chinese stir-fries and stews it sits beside in a Chinese meal? Why do we pay more attention to the fillings and toppings of a Japanese hand roll or a Korean bibimbap more than the rice that's holding the dish together? So today, as a small antidote to the general dismissal of rice, we'll be delving into the colorful, fragrant world of heirloom rice. And we're going to do that by unearthing the little-known rice industry from one specific place in Asia, the island of Borneo where heirloom rice has been cultivated for generations. Okay, before I get your hopes up too much, I didn't actually go to Borneo because of the travel restrictions due to COVID-19. And this show doesn't have the budget for that yet, but hopefully one day it will. But to give us an introduction into rice and specifically rice in Borneo, We'll first hear from Dr. Serena Che Omar, a researcher from the Kazana Research Institute.
1: My name is Serena Che Omar. I am a uh, senior research associate at Kazana Research Institute, where I primarily conduct policy based research on the paddy and rice industry of Malaysia.
0: Now, Dr. Serena, like most Asians, loves rice.
1: I just love it. I, I love plants, and I think rice is such a, an important part of our culture and our identity.
0: Despite her love of rice, in her years of research, Dr. Serena has found that rice is often taken for granted.
1: And the reason why we take rice for granted is because it is such a big part of our life that we just don't notice it because it's just right there in front of you. You know, the next day you got nasi lemak, and then for lunch you go and have your nasi ayam.
0: Nasi ayam is chicken rice, and nasi is rice cooked in coconut milk, served with sambal, cucumbers, peanuts, and half an egg. It's Malaysia's national dish.
1: We have always looked at it as a food security factor. We always think about rice as sustenance and, uh, and a requirement. And because of that, the policies have always been developed around um, the commercial rice.
0: Okay, commercial rice. That's the regular white rice that you and I can get in most supermarkets. In Asia, they're commonly sold in large plastic sacks. You know, the kind that when you walk past rows of it in the supermarket aisle, you just have this great urge to smack it really hard. Or is that just me? (laughs) But anyway, when we talk about commercial rice, throughout Asia, there are a few big varieties that have dominated the rice industry. You have jasmine that's mainly grown in Thailand and Cambodia. There's basmati that's used in much of Indian cooking. And if you're really into food, you might have heard of cow rose rice or even koshihikari, which is used in Japanese food or most famously in sushi. But beyond that, there are very few other rice varieties that are known. That is, until you turn to the island of Borneo in Southeast Asia where the rice scene is a lot more vibrant, a lot crazier, with cool varieties and cultivars bred through centuries and generations of farming. Borneo is the third largest island in the world, and its landmass is nearly four times that of Great Britain. But unlike Great Britain, the island of Borneo is largely untouched, and is home to vast swathes of rainforest, with a few townships and small cities dotting its coastline. Geographically, The island of Borneo is located to the north of Java in Indonesia, and it's many miles south of China. Parts of the island belong to Malaysia, parts of it to Indonesia, and there's also the country of Brunei, which is fully in Borneo itself. And when it comes to rice, Borneo has one of the most diverse varieties of rice in the world. And Dr. Serena's research covers the Malaysian side of Borneo, in the states of Sabah and Sarawak.
1: In Sabah Sarawak is a totally different world, June. You have thousands of varieties of unique rice that is just totally different from these lowland uh, Peninsula Malaysia rice, and you cannot find it in the rest of the world.
0: Just imagine that thousands of rice varieties, and most of us can't even name five. Now, why are there so many different varieties of rice in this specific island in Asia?
1: Here's the thing: why it's so unique. Now, geographically, in Sabah, Sarawak, there are many tribes, right? And each tribe, they they do it for subsistence purposes. So they they grow rice to to eat it for the year, and then they they save the seeds, and then they grow again. And I want you to Im- imagine, June. Uh, Sabah Sarawak, there's a lot of forests and the different tribes are always separated from each other with different geographical environments as well. So over hundreds of years of generations of passing down these seeds without mixing around with other tribes. These uh, rice, they have developed unique varieties.
0: Yes, Sabah, Sarawak and much of Borneo is inhabited by indigenous tribes. There are the Dayaks, Kadazans, Galabits, Lunbawangs, and dozens more. And many of these tribes grow rice for sustenance. And through generations of moving around the island, using different methods and geographies, their rice slowly changed and mutated throughout the centuries, becoming these very different, very distinct varieties. Now we'll get into these indigenous farming methods in a bit. But first let's delve deeper into understanding how there are different varieties of rice. A neat little way to think about them is by comparing them to breeds of dogs. If you listen to our very first episode of Take a Bow on durian, this is very similar to how Lindsay described durian varieties.
1: Now, to explain to you, I want you to think about dogs. Okay. Now, imagine a dog is one species and a cat is another species, right? but dogs there are so many breeds you have the chihuahuas you have the german shepherds you have different breeds right and they are all pure breeds same goes with rice you have many different varieties of rice and they are all unique in itself so imagine In in Peninsular Malaysia, you only have two breeds of dogs. But in Sabah and Sarawak, there are thousands of these unique varieties because they have been uh, grown separately and individually. So they they become very characterised.
0: And because all these varieties have been grown and passed down for generations and because of the tribes migrating all across the island, there are now these tiny pockets of villages and communities across Borneo and the rice that they grow are all different. Dr. Serena has been to one of these areas, a region called Barrio. And out of all the indigenous villages across Borneo, Barrio is one of the most famous ones for its rice, in Malaysia at least. And just to get a sense of the idyllic landscape and beauty of the place, I got Dr. Serena to describe
1: it. So the unique thing about Barrio, it is actually a slow ascent into the mountainous region. It is about 3,500 meters above sea level, June, When I was there, I felt like I was in a dreamland because I'm surrounded by mountains. And and I want you to imagine it is actually 12 hours four-wheel drive, dirt road drive inland to reach Barrio. That is how inland it is and it is high up in the mountains. And high up in the mountains, there is a crown. So imagine a crown whereby the the, the mountains surround a little plain. In the middle is is a flat area. So when you fly above it, it's just beautiful. It's it's circled by mountains and it is supplied by seven rivers and streams, fresh water.
0: If you can't tell by Dr. Serena's tone just how excited she is about this place, there was a point in our conversation where she got even more animated.
1: And Jun, Jun, it is so so out of the world, right? I I remember when I was there on the first night, it was so dark at night. I was uh, sleeping alone. Uh, My colleagues were in the other room. And I remember I couldn't sleep because when I closed my eyes and I opened my eyes, I couldn't see the difference. It was pitch black. So I, I still remember that experience. It's crazy.
0: Imagine that, a place that's pretty much untouched by modern civilization. And really, the whole of Borneo is dotted with places like these. Villages occupied by just a few dozen indigenous tribespeople, each one as scenic as what Dr. Serena described, all with little contact with the outside world, although that is rapidly changing. So, with a place that's so untouched by industrialization and modern agriculture, the way they go about farming and cultivating rice must be really different too, right?
2: Yes, actually, uh, their whole method of rice cultivation or paddy cultivation is actually very, very different. In a way, you could call them archaic. In a way, you can also say that, you know, the Green Revolution never really got to them until maybe in the past 10 years. And we think that is a blessing in disguise because what happened is that they
0: were spared from this annihilation of alum seeds. That is Chan Zixiang, better known as Zi. He's one of the four co-founders of the Langit Collective, a social enterprise that's been making waves across Southeast Asia's rice industry. Zee and his team work with a small village in Borneo to promote heirloom rice and improve the livelihoods of these indigenous farmers. Personally, I've tried heirloom rice from Borneo only once or twice in my life. But I was totally blown away when I had the ones that the Langit Collective are championing. It was actually through them that I first learned about all these hidden heirloom rice varieties that were grown in my own country, but I never knew about. So I thought it would be amazing to learn from Z about how heirloom rice is actually farmed in Borneo. So I went to their warehouse in the outskirts of Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia's capital, just an hour away from where I live. Hey, hello. How are you? Good, how are you? I'm
3: good, I'm
1: good. Welcome. Sorry, our office would be
0: very hot. Hey, no, it's okay, it's okay. <laughs> it isn't quite Borneo, I know, but this is where all their heirloom rice comes for packing and processing. And most importantly, I got to speak with Z, who has a wealth of knowledge about Bornean rice, as you'll soon hear. Hi, I'm Z. I'm
2: one of the co-founders of Langit Collective. I'm the CFO, the chief financial
0: and the chief farming officer of Langit Collective. <laughs> Now Z and the Langit Collective sourced their rice from this one tiny village of indigenous farmers to the north of Borneo, a place called Long Samado. They've worked really closely with Long Samado people for the past four years now. The communities that we work with in Long Semado, they
2: are actually subsistence farmers, meaning they are actually planting for their own consumption, which is a concept that may be very foreign to most consumers in the urban areas because they think of farmers as an occupation where you plant, you sell, and then you get the money and you buy stuff. But for our farmers, it's literally I'm planting it because I'm going to be consuming it. And there's a huge difference in that because then it actually reflects more about the culture. Uh, it's
0: a lifestyle. And the rice that they plant are nothing like the rice we get in supermarkets.
2: There are actually a lot of varieties uh, that they are planting or that they have been planting. So rice is not just white rice as we know. I mean, in Malaysia, we probably know white rice from basmati, Thai rice, Thai jasmine, or local chap rambutan rice and Japanese rice. I mean, that will be your usual consumer. And, and you know, the more discerning will say, oh, I take you know, Hitorobome or Koshihikari from Japan, you know, or something like that. You know, but it's all white. Right. It's all white. And you actually recognize the rice by where it comes from. So we are not so discerning in that sense. So when we went to the to the ground and found, oh my God, there's 30 types of rice. And then it comes in like different colors, like white, red purple, and it's not just the usual rice. Even the glutinous rice also comes in different shades, like w- white, red, glutinous rice, is, which is quite rare, and then uh, purple, glutinous rice. And within each colour varieties,
0: there are multiple varieties and multiple names that they use. So yes, in Long Somado and in the whole of Borneo, there's a plethora of rice varieties that are grown. White, red, purple, even black rice. I mean... If you realise, we're just calling them by their colours, because I guess to me, Z, and to most consumers, that is the easiest way to distinguish them from one another. But of course, this isn't what the locals call their rice. They have many different names for each rice variety, names that describe the texture of the rice, the yield, how they taste, and their cooking applications. And it's actually through this aspect of language that Z began to understand how the locals really thought about rice. Now, four years, five years down the road, you know, we start to
2: understand a little bit of the language. And certain words that they use in the language only exist in the language. And it has got to do with the process of planting rice. So I I, I can quote you one one word like do tunup. Not, do not tunup means uh when you transplant a paddy seedling from the nursery to the field, and when it stands upright, that's called tunup. Oh. So, I had to use so many words to explain this particular one word that exists in their language. So, you can see from that how it actually reflects the culture, and, and they actually do observe the whole uh, paddy planting process very, very closely. That you know, they could actually go down to that detail and, and, and actually talk about that.
0: That says a lot. I mean, just compare this to the English language, where rice is just rice. Uh, if we talk about English language, it's
2: rice is a, not a very common thing to the, to, to the English. So everything is rice, right? So we have uncooked rice in Malay call baras. We have cooked rice, which we call nasi, and it's still rice in, in English. There's, a, there's no differentiation to the English, but you can see from there how it actually reflects the culture, where it is actually something that is more staple to us.
0: Yes, exactly. This isn't just limited to indigenous languages or to Malaysia's national language, Malay. Even in Mandarin, there's a difference between cooked rice, which is fan, and uncooked rice, which is mi. But the indigenous farmers in Borneo have even more ways of describing rice. So really, they are the true connoisseurs when it comes to rice farming, harvesting, and even cooking. Yeah, so they know exactly,
2: you know, the the properties of the rice and what is it best for. And they have all these recipes and different ways of cooking particular varieties of rice. And we are
0: are still learning as we go. Just take the regular white rice that we have on a daily. To us, it's just white rice. And we use the same white rice for nearly all of our cooking. But to them, they have a bunch of varieties which all have different properties and different purposes. Um, For example, the white rice, we are carrying the uh,
2: Sale and the adan, the two varieties. They have other varieties called pade nanong, pade rindu. And these are other white rice varieties that they use specifically for a dish that they make. It's called the nubalaya. Or if I translate that, it will be soft rice. It's usually wrapped in leaves. It's a leaf called the petal leaf or daun itip in their language. And they would use this rice that will have this similar to the Thai jasmine rice, that pandanese smell. But the main quality of that is that if they were to wrap it in the rice when it's hot and even when it's cold, it wouldn't turn hard. You know, some rice turns hard as it turns cold, but this will still be soft even when it's cold.
0: Now that's just one example. And I know... So far, we've been talking in pretty general terms about Bornean rice, but we still haven't zoomed into any one particular rice variety. You know, just in case you want to show off the next time someone asks you to name five varieties of rice. So let's talk about Buras Adan, or Adan rice. It's the most widespread rice variety throughout Borneo, especially in the Malaysian side of Sabah and Sarawak. It's one of the rice that the Langit Collective is championing, and it has some pretty unique properties.
2: So the Adan is this very small, I would say, a short grain, but not fat. It's a very thin, short grain, uh, marble white. When it's cooked, it has a very uh, chewy and uh, sticky texture that some would actually associate it to like the Japanese uh, pearl rice, but it's not as dense. It's very light and airy I mean we've made sushi And like tamaki out of it It works It really works And The thing is uh, A lot of people say in, in, in the kampong And also Some of our consumers say that, oh, You don't feel full Eating this Like, But you keep wanting to eat it Because it's very tasty But you just eat a lot of it uh, So it's
0: so, so Actually if, if people use it for sushi Right Yeah then they can
2: have more sushi. Yeah. <laughs> yes, which is actually which is actually true because we actually made like hand rolls out of it. And I remember distinctly like we actually I actually portioned two rolls per person for for lunch. Actually if you think about it, two full hand rolls is actually quite a lot of rice. But we had it over and then we just didn't feel anything that was we
0: <laughs> Bras Adan sounds like a dream. I mean, it's like sushi rice, but you can just eat loads of it without feeling full? Come on! And its application isn't just limited to Japanese sushi rolls. Oh, of course not. Z discovered another beautiful way the locals used aden rice. In porridge, or congee. Uh, when we actually made porridge out of it, um,
2: it's, it's like the best thing ever when you boil porridge and as... The grains soak up the water It actually um, sediments down And then you have like This sort of layer of like um, Rice gruel So it's like It's just just water You know It's just just water But it's like imbued With all this rice starch Kind of thing And then you just drink that It tastes like A cereal drink Very hearty And if let's say You have like Upset tummy Or anything like that You know That's like the perfect remedy
0: that sounds so comforting. I'm really tempted to make some now. Well, actually, I'm in luck because Buras Adan has slowly but surely entered into the restaurant scene in Kuala Lumpur, where I live. And one of them, a contemporary Malaysian restaurant called Lee, actually makes porridge out of adan rice. So I went to the restaurant and spoke to its chef owner, Lim Henkin, to learn how to make adan porridge. And secretly, I was just hoping to taste some adan porridge without having to make it myself. But don't tell anyone. Okay, so I'm at Lee Restaurant and the chef
3: owner here, Hinkit, is going to show me how he makes his porridge. So this dish, uh, first the rice, the rice that we're using is the beras adan. How we cooked it at first is sort of cooked it uh, low and slow with ikan stock. So anchovy stock, after cooking it almost to, it's sort of sticky, a little bit sticky. So so we're just gonna warm this up. So what we're going for is, for me, I wanna try reach almost like a risotto-like texture. Um, What we serve it with is, to go with like the seafood theme, Um, we fry up some ikan itself. We actually also make some fish sauce caramel and we serve it with this uh, tobiko just to give a bit more seafood flavour to the dish um, and then we also serve it with dehydrated kailan so it's it's a play on when I was growing up my grand-aunt used to make me this ikan bilis congee with tons of spinach so it was just a very simple um, I think basically she used it because it was just using what what was around and spinach obviously it's pretty cheap so she did it in a very simple way So this is just my adaptation of uh, that dish But uh, just, I wouldn't say uh, refined But just adding all these touches With different techniques here and there So just updating it a little bit yeah, I think uh, I'll sort start plating it up So congee down first Then we have this uh egg It's already cooked um, at about First We did it at uh uh, 72 degrees for 12 minutes A little bit of our fish sauce caramel just around From there we have a little bit of just some simple fried ikan bilis. And we also have this uh, crispy fried which is dehydrated So we blanch it in salt water uh, Dehydrate it overnight just to give it that crunch So what's gonna happen is when you mix it with the dish It will almost become like seaweed Mm. Yeah. Just a little bit And just some fresh scallions Just around So kind of like inspired by My grand aunt um, But just uh, updated I guess mm. Yeah. I mean I've never actually tried this dish okay. In a
0: restaurant, restaurant. <laughs> 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 yeah. yeah but When people say porridge Or like think of porridge It's usually not so luxurious yeah. Or like something that's plated And yeah. it's very rare to see A high-end yeah. restaurant doing uh, updated version of yeah. porridge, right? Because and it is such a humble dish.
3: Uh, I agree with you. Like uh, even when we started out with this dish, people would say, "Hey, why, why is it uh, at uh, this price?" But <laughs> I think if you see like what goes behind it, like for example, the type of rice which we are using at the moment, which is Adan, Beras Adan. Uh, I think it makes a slightly different sort of play on what usually is out there. Where they just you know maybe it's more liquid and what uh, but here is really trying to highlight the rice but at the same time go with that seafood theme as well yeah okay
0: shall we taste okay after cooking the dish and eating it sorry I didn't record myself eating the dish but maybe I can do a mukbang special at some point but anyway after that I asked Hankit about how his understanding of rice has changed throughout his years of being a chef has your personal understanding or like Preference for rice has it changed over your years of being a chef for like running running your restaurant?
3: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's something we cook every day, and uh, it seems like the most simplest thing to do. But you'll be, if we, uh, you'll be surprised how even sometimes professional chefs <laughs> don't know how to cook rice properly. <laughs> so, <laughs> what, what do you mean, don't know how to cook rice already? So what's the <laughs> like young chefs coming up? They. Uh, look at maybe French techniques, uh, the way you cut a vegetable and things like beaux blanc and stuff, you, you you put that on a, uh, on a higher level, but you will be surprised where maybe some, even the younger cooks that come out of culinary school now, they can't even cook it properly, if that makes or they don't even know exactly how to cook it. So that's what I hope to change, uh, hopefully teaching more people about it. And what we try to do with our cooks is, hey, you know what we're doing, rice bowls, we are serving, you know, maybe 100 rice bowls a day, But we cannot take this rice for granted. We still have to cook it with as much care as much as a steak.
0: Mm. Cooking rice with as much care and thought as a steak. If only we could all view rice through that lens. And I think that's a great way to tie all of this together. That perhaps we should start seeing rice like how the indigenous people do. Paying more attention to the flavour and texture and properties of rice and as Henkit says, don't take rice for granted. Instead, treat it with love and respect, as you would a steak. And maybe sometime in the future, we'll be able to have conversations around the dinner table centered around just how good the rice tastes. But to get there, there's still a lot to be done. While people like Z and Henkit are bringing awareness to these heirloom rice, their reach is limited. If you think about it, we've just been talking about one type of rice, adan rice. But there are hundreds of other varieties out there, just waiting to be discovered and shared with the world. Each one with unique flavours and properties that we've probably never even thought was possible. For example, I recently saw Z posting about some sourdough he made. You know, just your regular lockdown baking. But instead of wheat flour, he used some baras rumi, which is this black glutinous rice that gave the sourdough a really stunning purple tinge. And the crumb shot of it just looked gorgeous. And this is just one more example. There's a whole world of rice out there to be explored, beyond adan rice, beyond long somado, and beyond Borneo. But with the agricultural revolution hitting Borneo, their farming landscape is changing really quickly. An action has to be taken before all these heirloom rice cease to exist. But hopefully, with initiatives like the Lungit Collective championing heirloom rice, with restaurants using them more extensively, and with people just talking more about it, hopefully in the future, our rice will be a lot more colorful, fragrant, and flavorful. And maybe a decade down the road, we'll be able to name more rice varieties than past. Thank you so, so much for listening to this episode of Take A Bow. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening to this. Also, if you can, do leave us a review. It will really, really help our show grow and just get more people excited about Asian food. And actually, let's read out a review again. Hmm, maybe I should make this a regular thing. Anyway, this review comes from Aisha B. Hassan, who's actually a friend of mine in real life. So thank you so much, Aisha. She says, this podcast is a love letter to all things Asian food and the host carries out this homage with a great mixture of storytelling and facts from the experts. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks so much, Aisha. Take About is hosted and produced by me, Lo Yijun. Many thanks goes out to our guests this episode, Dr. Serena, Z from the Langit Collective, as well as Henkit from Lee Restaurant. Thanks also goes out to Magdalene Wong for designing our cover art. Our next episode will be out in a fortnight, but until then, this is Jun, bowing out.